You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And when you do decide to purchase an Exodus Trail Camera, you need to enter the discount code Nine Fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers. And you will receive $20 off your trail camera purchase. Now, I'm jacked, man. Uh, today, I got a, a tree stand set up. Uh, I'm talking about Sunday today. Uh, when I'm recording this is Sunday. You're probably listening to this on a Monday. But I got a trail camera up or uh, a tree stand up. I switched out all my trail camera cards. And uh, once again, I have a decent set of antlers and bucks and bodies to chase this uh, upcoming season. Uh, some of the deer that last year uh, I ended up passing uh, are back a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and uh, now they got my eye. So uh, I'm really interested to see that once this September shift hits, what bucks are sticking around the farm. Because as, as it happens every year, getting trail camera pictures of some of these big deer are awesome but then september hits there's a huge shift and then when the crops come out there's another huge shift and basically um it just kind of the deer's range and core movement or whatever it all shifts so you have to go about finding them again and uh, like i said man getting getting trail camera pictures of big deer is easy where i'm from hunting them and killing them is a completely different story so uh, i'm not so i'm excited i love getting trail camera pictures of big deer but uh in reality hunting them is something that is uh takes a lot of hard work so i'm ready to do it i'm ready to put in the time the energy uh and uh you know get those trail cameras out start locating them come uh, early fall and then when it's time to uh, hop in the woods uh i kind of have a plan together and that's what i did this weekend man Tr tree stands and trail cams so huh and that's what today's podcast is about so 
If you don't know who Michael Fuchs is, um, he is a contributor to our blog, and he's written a couple articles thus far about buck betting and strategy on how to hunt specific bucks based off their beds, where he feels that they are bedding, uh, their travel corridors to and from uh, food sources, and that's what today's podcast is about, man. It is about summer scouting. It is about locating uh, where you feel some of these um, bucks are bedded, the terrain features that are involved, and uh, how to kind of put together a plan of attack on some of these areas, some of these ridges, some of these points once you've located where you feel a deer is bedding. So, excuse me, that's what today's podcast is about. Uh, if If you're a strategy nut, this is the perfect podcast for you. So listen to the whole thing. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Wasp Broadheads. I am a huge fan of the Boss 4-Blade Broadhead. It is a fixed blade, okay? It is a um, 4... It's it's fixed, it's 4 blades, and it's one of those... I guess you could consider it a smaller diameter cut. Um, I am a huge fan of, of... these kind of broadheads the you know the ones that are a little bit smaller uh but they have more cutting surface because they have more blades and uh man i'm i am really excited to get some more of these on my arrows and chase some elk with them uh and some whitetails this year so uh this is going to be the tip that i use when i go elk hunting it's going to be the tip that i use when i go deer hunting and i'm just excited to get these on now if you're not a fixed blade fan, the cool thing is is that uh, they also have mechanical broadheads. Um, before I switched to a fixed blade, I used to shoot the jackhammer for I don't know how many years. Uh, I shot the jackhammer. Um, I bounced around, you know, using some different heads. Found the the Boss Four Blade, and that's what I'm kind of with now. But uh, the, the, if you're a mechanical, I highly re- recommend the jackhammer. Just a, it's like it's a Mack truck of, of mechanical broadheads, man. It just does a lot of damage. So go to wasparchery.com, pick out the broadhead that you want to order, and then you save 20% by entering the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, and save 20% on your order. So with all that said, let's get into today's hunting strategy podcast with Michael Fuchs. All right, everybody, welcome back to this Monday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We are back with, he's been on the podcast before, but he is also now a contributor to the Sportsman's Nation blog, and we're going to be talking today with Michael Fuchs about buck bedding and summer scouting and a whole bunch of different topics that revolve around what's happening with the whitetail herd right now, how we're going to go about locating some of these bucks and how we're going to attack them uh, come fall. So, Michael, how are we doing, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me back on, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I must say I'm a big fan of your articles because they're heavy in the strategy. And I think a lot of guys love that type of information, especially when it's almost like a, a lot of a lot of guys out there say, "What do I need to do?" And I think right. the articles that you're putting out and the information that we're going to be discussing today is how to do that, right? How to how to yeah. find where the bucks live and how to hunt them where they live. 
Yeah, man. I really appreciate the, the positive feedback. Definitely the uh, engineering background in me. I, I try to make it a, a strategy and and uh, and go from there. Yeah. So today, uh, I just got back home uh, from checking my trail cameras for the first time this year. From hanging up, uh, I only got one tree stand hung, but I did some scouting in a part of the timber that I typically don't hunt just because it's so... Um, so it's really awkward to get to. I mean, there is a hill on the side of a bluff kind of that you can't you can't climb up unless you had a rope or a ladder, right? I mean, it's that steep. Right. And this is where uh, I'm starting to get trail camera pictures down in the lower part of all the deer kind of flooding off of that. So I did uh, some scouting today, uh, and I want to talk about that little area in a little bit. But okay, the first thing that I want to talk about today is for the guys out there who are running trail cameras or the guys out there who maybe are doing some summer glassing and they locate a deer what is what are some of the first things that you do when you've located a buck and now it's time to start putting the pieces of the puzzle together yeah definitely this time of year you know whether i'm driving down the road and see a a deer I'm interested in, whether I'm out intentionally glassing for deer I'm interested in, or whether I'm checking trail cameras, uh, it's all centered around that, that bedding and, and that core area. And it's going to go back to the scouting that I did the winter and the spring months leading up to, to this summer. Uh, so, you know, the first thing I do whenever I see a big deer, I think, where's he living? Where's he bedding at? And I'm not talking about their summer bedding habits because right now these big deer are all living close to the food. Uh, they're trying to save as much energy as they can. They're going to bed close to that food. Um, you know, around here it's it's 99% of it. We're talking bean fields here in Indiana and in the Midwest. So these big deer are laying up close to these beans and with the wind at their back, they can smell anything from behind them and they're getting their eyes on that field all day long. So they feel safe when they get up and go out there and feed. But, um, whenever I see an animal I'm interested in, I'm first thing I'm going to do is pull up a map and, uh, try to start finding a ridge, uh, a big ridge, um, you know, within a mile, mile and a half of, uh, of where that food source is located. And that's, that's the first thing I'm going to do. So when you say, a big ridge are you talking about the the predominant feature in the area that leads up to where uh, you've seen these deer so obviously let's say this time of year i have all of my trail cameras basically on minerals mineral stations or on uh, field edges where you know all the pictures are of deer in a field they're they're at the food source so to speak right Um, or they're at, they're at point B. Yeah, yeah, point B, right. Or, you know, a guy drives down the road, he glasses them, he's, he's, he sees them. Uh, okay, I need to find where this buck lives. Now, the predominant terrain feature is a big ridge, right? That's what you're telling people that they need to try to find. Yeah, when, yeah, when I say big ridge, I, the first thing I'm going to look for is the highest point of elevation. And it's going to be on a topographical map. And I'm going to look for the highest point of elevation 
to that closest to that food source um, for, for that particular ridge. Okay. So you're talking about a ridge then that leads to this food source, right? Well, when it, when I say a ridge that leads to the food source, not, not necessarily. It could be a ridge. When you're talking a mile away, you might have two or three ridges between the food source and, and the the core area that that animal's living in because he, he might not feel safe the first ridge over. He might not feel safe the second ridge over. But the third ridge over is where he's living at. I've already walked all three of these ridges back during January, February, March. And I know I already know which one of those ridges he's going to be on. From from the from the spring scouting, right? Correct. Okay, so let's take that out of the equation. I want you to start. I want us to start talking about right now. So let's say I gave you my property in Iowa, right. and you had a tag to hunt it this year, but you had to start right now. All right. No, that's yeah, that's totally fine because right now I'm out glassing areas that i haven't hunted before that i didn't scout but if i see an animal that i'm interested in and there's property that i'm able to access where i think there's potential bedding you know i might i might have four or five different areas where that animal's bedding at as opposed to that nailed down one because i didn't get back in there during my winter and spring scouting and that's fine that just means come October, come this season, I'm going to have, you know, that much more work cut out for me. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I, if I see a deer right now that I'm interested in and I can access the property, I think he's bedding. Well, just cause I haven't scouted it back during winter and spring doesn't mean I'm not going to pursue that animal. Right. Okay. So the highest point of elevation, right? So you're, you feel that there's a core area uh, around where you located this buck or where we've gotten trail camera pictures of this buck, you're saying that there is a a mile to a mile and a half radius that you will check on a map looking for that highest point of elevation. Yeah, absolutely. I, in the past three or four years, I can't even count the number of bucks that I can watch in a food source right now, and I know that come September, they're going to move back to a ridge that's half a mile to a mile from that food source. Okay. So then, obviously, they make a transition, okay? Right. Uh, but before that, I mean, so you you get the map out, you kind of put a mile and a mile and a half uh, radius around where you saw them, you look for the highest elevation, all right. Now, right. just because it's the highest elevation doesn't mean it's a good bedding area, right? Absolutely. Right. Many, yeah, absolutely. So when you when you start your scouting, um, are you doing any in the timber scouting this time of year? No. No. Hardly at all. Rarely ever. I mean, it's rarely ever will, will I go into the timber this time of year. Really, I no. I, I might go in. Well, I went in to hang a, a, a stand just this past week. Um, you know, certain areas, if, if if that's what that area and that animals tell me to do. But uh, no, right now this time of year, I'm not going into the timber hardly at all. All right. So even on let's say like a, a new property, right? You would just wait to go in 
especially this time of year, you would wait to jump into that area where you feel um, is a, a, you know, the highest elevation. How do you yeah. know, how would you know without going into it, hypothetically, that that's even a good place to hunt? Yeah, that's the thing. Well, yeah, first off, yeah, you're looking at your topographical map, which I use Onyx, like I've said before, because you can drop your contour lines over your aerial because the highest point of elevation, if you're just on a topo map, you could end up who knows where. But when you can lay those contour lines over that aerial, you've got it all right there. Um, so, I, you know, if I was to get permission to hunt somewhere tomorrow and I hadn't gone in and scouted it and I don't know what it looks like, like I said, I might have four or five, six ridges, points, high areas of elevation that could be potential buck bedding and and i'm not going to necessarily know which one of those it's going to be i'd rather go in there in october with a stand on my back and my bow in my hand and be walking it scouting uh hanging and hunting than going in there right now and, and screwing the area up okay even though so I, I might I, it, it, there might be six or seven different areas that where I think that animal's bedding at, you know, it might be the last, the last ridge that I end up making my way to, but, but I'm, I'm fine with that. I'd rather do that and know he's locked down than go in there and, and blow it up right now. Right. So even though you feel that this time of year, they're conserving energy, they are, um, they're not in their fall range right now. What about, right. what, what about, you know, what's, What's wrong with scouting some of those ridges if you feel that they're bedding closer to the food source, knowing that they're not going to be there in the summertime or in the fall? I, I just think it's a, a matter of knowing they're going to be in there. Uh, I just treat it as, you know, I guess sacred ground, you can call it. But I've, I've just in the past, I've learned from going in and, you know, putting a mineral lick in the in the timber on some of my best spots and going in, you know, and replenishing the minerals once every couple of weeks and not even knowing that I'm going right in next to where a mature buck would or should be bedding at, but now he's not going to bed there because I've been going in and out yeah. once every three weeks for the past, <clears throat> you know, two months. Right. Right. Um, I just try to stay out and I, and you know, just cause that buck's not living back there doesn't mean, there's not other satellite deer living around that area and you're going to go in and, you know, bump them up and disturb it. I just don't see any, any reason to, to do it. Yeah. Okay. And if I want to, if I want to go in and hang a stand, um, you know, I'm okay with going in once or twice, but I'm not going to make it a, uh, checking my trail camera or checking my mineral lick event. Okay. So you feel that from point A, where the buck is bedding to in the fall, to point B, which would be where we've see, we've seen them in the summer, that's the that's kind of like the the comfortable range for them to to travel is like a one point five mile radius. Yeah, I mean, I you you get I I'm just speaking from my experience. I yeah. I've seen I've seen a mature buck travel from his summer food source to a, a core ridge where he's going to spend all of his fall and winter. Uh, I've seen him personally 
travel that mile mile and a half so that's what i can speak to and obviously any further than that and i i can't i'm sure guys could vouch and say i've seen this buck he moved three miles from yeah point a to point b let that sign i'm just speaking from everything that i say is just from trial and error and from from my own experience right so and i i completely get that because in the midwest i feel that deer travel less than let's say like in a state i don't know like any of the dakotas nebraska kansas where there's way less like timber type cover uh right. for, for them to travel they'll probably travel especially during the rut right they're traveling miles and miles and miles to uh, to find the next doe but yeah. so this so here's a kind of a hypothetical question for you what happens if okay. you're if you're glassing Right, you see a target. Okay. You see a buck. You identify him as I want to go after that buck. Then, right, you put you, you know you're starting to put the uh, pieces of the puzzle together to you know a plan of attack on that buck. But then you see him in a completely different area to than what he was in. Let's say like maybe he's a mile, two miles away the next time you see right. him, and right. and that. And and then this this 1.5 highest elevation range that you've given this deer is kind of broken, and right. now you're looking you're you're looking at scouting a comp- whole different area. Have you had anything like yeah, that happen? Yeah. And and what's what's kind of your method from that point? Yeah, I have, and it's just all going to be a matter of reverting back to the map, and um, you know I can look at and a, a couple thousand acres on a map and, and circle the points where a mature buck's going to be bedding pretty quick. So if, uh, if I see something like that, I'm, I'm going to, it's all, I'm going to be looking at the map. I mean, anymore. So the and, map is like your Bible, right? You, you refer to oh, it for, all day, every day. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's get into detail on that then. What specifically are you looking for? on a topic uh, on a topographic map that indicates and I, i'm not talking about satellite imagery or anything i'm talking about just right. just topo lines what are you looking for as far as where a buck is going to bed no that's a great question yeah i'm looking first off yeah, you got to know how to read a, a topo map in and out for anyone out there it doesn't because i'll be the first to admit four or five years ago i didn't know how to read a topo map but i sure as hell do now so um, I'm looking for high points of, of elevation, the top, the ridge tops, and more specific, the first points for a mature buck bedding. I'm going to be circling are going to be points. Um, usually points where the ridge is facing south, catering towards a prevailing north wind. And the reason I do that is because you and I both know um, the winds t- typically are going to come out of the north during the fall and winter. So a buck's going to bet on that south-facing ridge point because he can lay there on that point. Say if the wind's coming out of the north, well, he can lay right on that point on the far south side, and he's got that wind right at his back, and he's looking straight down the ridge. Ten times out of ten, that's how a mature buck's going to bed in hill country. I've seen it too many times. I can't count the number of times I've seen it. And he's going to be on that point because the moment that wind shifts, 
and starts coming, say, out of the northwest, he's just going to walk right around that point and lay on that east-facing side, that southeast-facing portion of the ridge. So he's literally just walked 15, 20 yards, and he's got that wind right at his back. Okay. And that's that's the way a mature buck uses a point to work in terms of efficiency. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, identifying some of these beds. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. This is something I'm not very good at. Okay, and that's fine. All the all of the um, buck bed information that I've learned or that I've heard is not necessarily for the type of environment that I hunt. Yes, I feel that the I, pr- principles are the same, but. Um, I don't know if I would feel comfortable telling you that a buck beds in off the same point in in a se- section of timber every single day. Right. I feel that on my property, and 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 I I'm I'm going to say that you know way more than me about this, but I feel that there are multiple beds for multiple winds where these deer. Uh, bed especially um, in the environment that I hunt so do you feel that when it starts to get to this October time frame the these deer are going back to the same exact point especially if there's like a a north wind Uh, let's just say every day is north if every day of the season had a north wind do you feel that a, a buck would go back to that exact same bed every single time? Assuming there's no other factors as far as pressure go, yes. And I've seen it. I've seen it too many times. I mean, if you look at some of my videos and, and pictures and stuff, I'm, I'm pulling, you know, mature buck, uh, you know, clods of hair out of their beds. It, it, you don't pull a big clod of hair out of a mature buck's bed if he's only laying there once every couple days right okay so then as as let's say a wind the wind shifts and i'm not talking about a north to northwest where you can use the same point i'm talking about a maybe a straight east wind or a straight or a straight south wind or something completely different yeah no definitely yeah if there's if i've got a area i'm hunting and there's you know the perfect point for a north facing wind south facing ridge and then the wind comes out of the south he's not going to be there i can tell you that right now he's going to be on somewhere the wind's going to be at his back uh you know in most of these cases i'm going to have that that south that north facing slope pegged down for that south wind um he he's going to be laying somewhere on that upper third with the wind at his back every single time so so basically what it sounds like is the first thing that we need to do is identify points so the wind really doesn't matter in this scenario right right? the only time that it really matters is what point he's going to be sitting at for for what specific wind right yeah but uh you know i'm talking about i don't want to get too hung up on points um either because i Another thing to add to this is I can't tell you the number of times that I've laid out a blueprint, um, a big topographical map, and I've had 
you know, my number one through 10 spot, number one being the best looking point on this map, the one that I'm going to run to the moment I jump out of the truck, I'm going straight there. I can't tell you the number of times I've done that. And you get to that point and there's something wrong with it that it's not creating that perfect buck bed. You know, whether it's too open, is it too thick? Does someone have their ladder stand right on that point? The list goes on and on. He's not going to be there unless he's secure and safe. So I can't tell you the number of times I've gone straight to a point like that and then had to branch off that point and just walk that upper third of that ridge and then end up finding that bed. And it's not necessarily always on that point. Because points naturally attract people, you know, and naturally attract hunters and some guys might go straight to a point and hang a stand they don't know why it's there other than well it looks good so right i can see on both sides of the ridge so i'm just going to hang my ladder stand here well that buck's not going to bed there okay yeah yeah but that but but that's the right spot right let's say for a a running gun hunter that's where you want to be when he uh no yeah i'm yeah definitely i'm just talking if if someone's got a permanent stand in there, that pressure, that buck's not going to be living there. Right. Okay. All right. So we've identified points on the actual map, right? So now through scouting, uh, we have to go in and look, whether it is during the season or whether it's spring or, or winter scouting, we've identified uh, these points. We're going in. And then from there, are you saying, okay, this is a no-go based off of the boots yeah. on the ground or the during oh, season yeah. scouting? Absolutely, man. Yes. All, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. My my best friend, David Coffer, that I hunt with, I, I can't tell you the number of times when I've been so jacked to go in and check out an area, a point that just looks like, man, this buck has got to be bedded there. And we've gone in and said, no, nope, he's not here. And we're going to find him somewhere in there on that upper third of the ridge but if it's not always the point but the points definitely were where i'm gonna start at okay all right so you know we we've addressed the map we found a location you put your boots on the ground you said okay this is definitely and hell maybe you even found a buck bed on this on this point Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. So now it's time to hunt. Are you trying to get a stand in there before the season starts? Uh, 9.9 times out of 10. No, no. Okay. Uh, Unless, unless that, you know, a a particular stand I hung this past week was a double set to video out of. And, uh, you know, sometimes something like that, if the area calls for it and we can get away with it without spooking that animal, you know, I'll do it, but right no, it's, and most times if all, all cases, it's going to be running gun. Okay. Let's see. Um, I mean, in the past, in the past three years, I haven't hunted the same tree more than three times. And I spend a lot of time in trees. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So n- now you've kind of identified where, you know where this buck bed is you've gone in there and you've said this is a this is good or this is bad if it's good you're going to go in and you're going to start hunting it right now are you a right off the bat 
in uh, when does Indiana's season start? Indiana starts October first every okay. year. Okay, so I, I also hunt Kentucky, which starts in September, and that's a whole totally different ball game. Right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about Indiana though for 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 uh, right. conversation's sake here. Are, yeah, I are, like that. Are you then going after these deer right away in October? Yes. To, oh. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, are you? I killed my Indiana buck last year opening evening. Okay. So you've identified you've identified uh, the buck where this buck is living. Now, are you setting up within? Arch, like within range of this bed or are you trying to catch him coming out or going to his bed i'm a, i'm i'm hunting in the evening and i'm trying to catch him coming off of his bed and I, i'm gonna push it within i like to be within 200 yards of his bed okay all right so i think the buck i shot last year on open the evening i i'd like to think i was within 100 yards but right. I, I shot him at about 6 p.m Okay, so let's say that we have this north wind. It's coming off of, and I'm just using this as an example. Right. How are you setting up on this buck? Because obviously he's going to go to food or he's going to go to water. The first thing out Correct. of the first thing out of his yeah. bed, he's going to stand up, stretch, and then he's going to go right. Uh, make it start making his way to food or water. How right. how do you set up on him when? He is going to be working his way. I mean, how do you set up on him close enough to where, you know, because if you're setting up on the food source, it's going to be too late, right? It's going to be dark by the time he gets there. Oh, absolutely. There, right? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because how many, how many times have I done that or you done that in our learning stages and guys are still out there doing it and hopefully they'll listen to this and learn from us just like I learned from guys like Dan Insult. Yep, yep. So then, are you are you trying to set up on an elevation, then lower than these guys to the food source? So and and yep. how do you, how do you set up without even though it's you know there's still a lot of leaves on the tree in October, how are you setting up on this on these deer where they can't they can't see you or hear you set up? No, that's a great question because you know there's I've I I find a lot of bucks and a lot of buck beds. And some are what I call killable deer and others are what I call, you know, challenging. And a lot of that all centers around the scenario and the layout, just like the question you just asked. So, if, you know, particular spot that I've hunted in the past, you know, the food source is to the south of that buck bed, that ridge, that upper third, the point. The food source is about half a mile to the south. And that's where he's going to get up and travel to. So with that being said, when the wind, if the wind's out of the north and he's up there on that south-facing point, well, right off the bat, with the north wind, I've got the wind in my favor at this point, if that makes sense. Yeah. The yeah. wind's coming out of the north. He's laying there looking down that south-facing slope, waiting until he's going to get up and travel to that food. So I've got a north wind. I've got the food to the south, the point B. And now the only thing between me and killing this animal is him visually seeing me. Because um, you got to also think thermals. Uh, in the evening, your thermals are always going to be pressured down. 
So they're going to pull down that ridge. And if you drop milkweed like I do, you've, you've seen it before. So in the evening, you're going to watch that milkweed suck down that ridge and drop down. So you've got the thermals in your favor. You've got the north wind in your favor. I'm going to go in and set up right outside of what I feel like that buck can visually see. In this case, it's typically, you know, 200 yards. Between 100 and 200 yards. I don't want to, I don't try not to get any closer than that. But. Yeah. So what happens if the same exact scenario that you just described, except the food now is to the north? So, okay, that's so, a great that's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, the the example you just gave would be he's standing up out of um, out of his bed. He's walking right. with the wind to his back to the food source. Okay. Right, because he because he bedded with it to his back with the south wind. Right. So so he's given up from from his bed to the food source. In that scenario, he's giving up the his travel wind right where he may he may be traveling at at quartering right where he'll he'll catch something kind of um ahead of him but away uh but you know you could set up your tree stand uh, in that scenario to where you wouldn't even you know on the south side of his travel uh pattern you wouldn't even be detected unless he saw you now flip it right Right. And now we're going to start talking about something that I think a lot of guys try to do but fail at. And that's with a food source coming off of a ridge or the, the food source is at the high elevation. Right. And oh, yeah. The buck is lower, but he's still on a point. Right. He's on a, the end of that's a ridge. Yeah, that, that's, and that's where I get to talking. You know, I like to have options because that scenario, if you're trying to get above that animal, and that food's up high, man, it, you know, I like to have options because that's that's probably going to be one of my last ones. Uh, that's going to be a buck that I'm going to say that's just a tough bed. That's a tough scenario. That's a tough kill. Whereas the example I just list, listed off would be a textbook kill. Yeah, yeah. You know? So how do you go about that? I mean, obviously that's not your favorite thing to do, uh, but if it – if it was warranted, you would do it, right? Right. So yep. is there anything, there's got to be something different in, in the in the approach to that tree stand location as opposed to the, the previous one that you just described? Oh, yeah, there's a specific area in Kentucky I'm going to be hunting this year. And I've got a scenario that's similar, and it's too good of a spot for animals to not hunt it. So I'm going to hunt it. Um, there's a draw that feeds into the top of that. And I've actually gone back in there and dropped milkweed and watched it suck off that side of that, that side of that high point. Right. Um, so I'm, you know, try to find features in the terrain that, that I can utilize and, and something silly like that. But I mean, I, you know, I went back in there, you know, last spring and, and dropped milkweed to see how it would react in there. And it, sucked right down that draw and i know well that might give me a chance at at killing that buck yeah okay so then do you think that okay let's say the food source is to the north there's a ridge heading straight south the buck is bedding on the the point 
you know, let's say it's 200 yards away from the food source or whatever. And you said the food's to the north? The food is to the north, and the buck's bedded to okay. the south. And we have, a, we have a, like, a, a north-ish wind, okay? So uh, I gotcha. On, He's going to be bedded on the south side. Yeah, on the south, yeah, on the south end of the point, right? Correct, yep. Right, okay, yep. So, like, okay. But so, you're right. He's still going to get up and travel north. Uh, I'm not going to hunt that with a, I'm not going to hunt that with a, uh, a north wind. Okay. So I'm going to wait till that wind's out of the south and hunt that. So you're going to get up behind him then? Well, you're saying if, uh, that food's to the north and that point. So there's uh, a ridge, there's a ridge that leads up to a food source. Okay. He's boy. He's, yeah. And as you walk down the ridge, you're losing elevation. the The food, the ag field, or the food source is high high ground now, and he's bedded. I gotcha. He's bedded on the south. So you're on a on a north wind, right? Obviously, if it's a north wind, you're. Uh, it's a, let's a just north say, wind. The wind's blowing right to him. Right to him. Right? Yeah. Right. So what I'm trying to get at is, on a scenario like that, are you trying to then catch him? on a morning hunt loop around uh, and come up that's a good question yeah so i tell you i don't hunt many mornings in in october uh especially early october but you know i like i said in my last article there's nothing more valuable than observations and and data with the, you can talk about the theory all you want but if something tells me if a trail camera photo if a glass in I'm on my way to work in the morning and see something, and something tells me to go in and, and hunt that morning. I'm I'm gonna do it, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'm not hunting more many mornings. But in the scenario you just laid out, I I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna hunt that animal with a north wind. Um, so and, so now if we throw in like an uh, a west or east on that same let's say it's not straight north but it's straight it's it's straight northwest it's coming out of the northwest okay do you feel then you could get the jump on that buck heading to food because he's going to have the wind to his advantage you can you can he'll be working on that what the east side of that ridge then yep you're right okay so do you how do you how would you approach that then well, that's where your winter and spring scouting is really going to come into play, because during the winter and spring, I'm I'm laying in these buck beds, and deciding why they are there, when they're there, uh, why they're there. So when you know that precise location to the pin drop of that buck bed, well, you can use that wind very much so to your advantage. You know, if that wind's not blowing right at them in that bed. If it's quartered off a little bit, I might go for him. Okay. So then are you going to try to get, let's say, let's just continue with the northwest wind type of uh, example here um, on a on a south-facing ridge, and he's working his way north to the food. Uh, obviously, he's going to be probably working yep. on, on the uh, east side of that ridge, working north. Are you going to try to stay below him or get above him? I'm going to try to stay below him. Yeah. Okay. And is there a specific reason? Is that that's so he feels like he has the wind to his advantage uh, as he's creeping up and you have him kind of quartering in? And my thermals in the evening are going to be pulling down. So I'm going to always try to stay below every time I can. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your access to these locations. Um, right. You know, because not every scenario is as easy as the, you know, the buck bedded to the north heading south for food with a north wind, right? I mean, that's that's pretty, uh, yeah. that's pretty easy, right? I mean, it, it is. It's it's too easy almost. Some there are certain spots and scenarios that are. Yep. Yeah. So from an access point, you know, how important do you think access is to, you know, hunting a specific buck from specific beds? Uh, it's it's definitely important. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I I don't want to stress it too much. If I know I have to get somewhere to kill a, a certain buck and the scenario is right to go in there and kill him, I'm going to get there. You know, it doesn't matter. what I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. You know, with that being said, there's scenarios where I've walked three miles to get to a certain setup as opposed to I could have walked mile from the vehicle, but I have to loop around this specific ridge because that buck's bedded on top of that ridge and I have to come in from this way. So um, obviously it, it is important enough to, to do that. So, right. Right. Let's say you have this, a, a buck pegged, right? You're like, man, I know he's on this ridge. I know he's going to be working uh, his way down, whatever, whatever. And he doesn't show. How many, right. hunt, how many hunts are you giving him before you move and go somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, that's happened. That, as much as I, time as I spend in the woods, that happens a lot, man. Um, you know, I'll go in. Uh, I go in and set up. There's times I go in and set up and think it's going to be a sealed deal and don't see that buck come off the bed or, or don't see him that night. And it's happened more than once, but, uh, you know, I'll push that bed until, you know, if I go in and set up 200 yards from where I think he's bedded at and I have no encounter whatsoever of him, well, whenever I get those same conditions to go back in, this time I might go set up, what was it, 100 yards from that bed. Well, if I don't see him then at that point, I'm, I'm moving on. And I'm, I might even go in there and look at that bed and see, you know, well, shit he's not using this bed now uh, i don't know why he's not using it maybe someone bumped him out or i might walk up to where he was better at and you know billy bob's got his double man stand hanging there now yeah okay so, happens all the time yeah yeah so how do you how do you adjust i mean let's say there's there's maybe one or two deer in the entire area that you feel you want to go after how do you adjust? I mean, are you going to, you know, the like third, fourth, fifth ridge that you've already identified as um, good places and start hunting him from different points of different ridges? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what you just said is exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, he's, he left there, but, you know, if I know he's still alive, I've got, you know, two, three, four however many other potential bedding areas it might be. Hopefully it was an area I scouted back during the winter and spring. And I know, Hey, I need to be on this spot. If not, well, I'll start jumping around and seeing, you know, he moved to one point, he moved to a point or that upper third of that ridge somewhere. I can guarantee you that. 
All right. So how long, how long though? And point B and point B is most likely not going to change, which is always a, you know, a, 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 a positive factor. So you're saying that you feel that the, uh, the food source or the ag field or whatever is going to be the same destination a majority of the time. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, if he got bumped off a bed or, he's moved out of that area and heading somewhere else that he's still traveling to the same location. Gotcha. What about, let's say like, uh, when the acorns drop, start dropping as opposed to like right now, they're probably, I mean, it's August, it's early August. They're probably starting to dominate these beans. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I noticed today when I was out, uh, you know, hanging stands and checking cameras that the acorns are starting to drop where I'm at. What's the acorn crop looking like there this year? Man, I don't know. Uh, probably you've seen. I, they're I'm dropping not sure already. This year either. Okay. They're, that's all I know is they're dropping. Let's see. Two, not last year. I don't think the year before, but uh, three years ago, man, we had one hell of an acorn crop. And we did. Uh, that was the same year we did here too in Indiana. Yeah, and I tell you what, my trail camera shut off. For, yep, I guarantee it. Yeah, they shut off for two weeks. It felt like, and uh, uh, and and I'm not talking about the quote unquote October lull because I had uh, trail cameras in the timber and pinch points that were on fire. Uh, right. That time, right? So. Um, yep. So, I guess, what's your opinion on that? Then, what do you think about the term October lull? Uh there, you know. In my my opinion, there, there's no such thing. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> I've heard uh, Dan or a few other guys say it was developed by the uh, the hunting the gimmick manufacturers. To, <laughs> to, I'm, have you? I'm sure you've heard that too. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah, I do. I, I don't believe in the October lull. I know you don't. The deer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the deer have to eat and they have to drink. And, and I'd say that's the. Uh, yeah, that's the engineer coming out and you as well. It's it's that's just that they're going to be bedding where they're bedding. They're going to be eating where they're eating. And an October lull to me um, for for others can sound like nothing more than an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's a good way to put it, man. I've never, I you know, that is a fact. Oh, it's October lull. I don't think I should hunt, man. I, you know, and s- s- the studies show that from you know, whenever from September to November, buck movement, deer movement increases in the timber or anywhere. Oh, yeah. really. I mean, it, it just increases. It's that bell curve all the way until the rut is at its peak. And then it kind of goes down from there. But, um, man, this no, my thing is if, uh, you know, as far as the October lull goes, there is no such thing. Now, granted, they might be getting out of their bed later. They might only be covering a hundred yards from their bed during daylight hours, but if you've done your homework and you know where that buck bed's at, you know his pattern where he's going to travel coming off that bed. You know, I've killed a lot of deer the first couple of weeks of October. Yeah, makes sense, man. Makes sense. I actually, I mean, I'd, I'd rather hunt that time of year personally because. Whenever rut rolls around, man, what a curveball that can be! You, you know, you talk about buck, your buck bedding theories. You know, it, they 
it's you can throw all that out the window come rut that's a totally different topic of conversation for another podcast getting into rut tactics yeah absolutely um do you think that when that shift changes um you know they're they're betting wherever or they're going back to some of these these uh beds that have been friendly to them over the years i know there's in my own experience over the past couple of years i've seen i've seen bucks leave their core areas core areas and core bedding for a couple of days and where they go i don't know i'd, I'd say they're locked down with a doe or two um you know they'll go spend a couple of days breeding and then come back to their home uh, it can it, it can be tough it's a totally different tactic my rut hunting's you know we can save that for a whole other podcast yeah absolutely so now um you know what happens how do you let's say you have an encounter that buck does exactly what he's supposed to do right right and he walks down a different trail that that goes to the same food source but it's outside of your shooting range Right. Right. Are you yeah. are you leaving your stand there and coming back to it the next night, or you know, because uh, there, there's always that potential. He comes. He's coming back to his bed and he bu- he busts you when you're not even oh, there. Yeah, no doubt. At, oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, and it it depends if I've got a if I've got a hang on up in there and I can get away with getting down and getting out of there, but. You know, around here, a lot of scenarios, I can get away with using a climbing stand. I know we talked about that last time on the podcast, but if I've got my climber, man, I, I ain't going to leave it there. I'm not going to take the chance of him walking by a, a scent bomb at the base of the tree on the way back to his bed. Right. right. I, I'd rather I'd rather put in the extra time and effort and get it out of there and get back in the next evening and kill him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Have you ever tried the... Um, there's a, a strategy called the bump and dump where you, you walk in, you bump the deer out of his bed on purpose. And then you set right up on that bed, basically with the wind in your favor to try to catch him coming back that next morning. Yeah. I think that's one, uh, Andre D'Aquisto has, uh, kind of talked about, I can't say I personally tried it, but, uh, I like the concept and if I was ever in a scenario where I thought it would work, I'm crazy enough I would try it. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't say I've ever attempted the bump and dump. Yeah. I don't know, man. Andre's done it and killed a few bucks. Yeah. But. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, I, you know what? This is one of those conversations that just kind of keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time for that because, um, yeah. you know, However, you know, we got enough time between now and the time that the season actually starts where we can start uh, unwinding some of these strategies, um, start talking a little bit about uh, access routes, stand locations. Um, yeah. Like for me, I'm a huge fan. I Like, I never, hardly ever hunt on a, um, oh, hunt on a, a field edge anymore. However, right. I like to go about... 70 yards to maybe a hundred yards inside the timber or wherever I feel there is, um, I, I call them staging areas, right? Where right before they come out 
of you know onto the field or yep. their food their main food source they hang up a little bit and they right. they chill there maybe lay some scrapes maybe rub some trees it's just kind of like a social gathering point for all these deer it's usually on yep. right on the edge of a you know of something really thick to where it's kind of wide open and man i tell you what i'm a huge fan of those of those uh, yeah areas. no doubt and if there's if the elevation is is right there you know adjacent to that food source you know those staging areas can be key but there's also scenarios where that bedding elevation might not be for you know half a mile to mile off that food source that yeah. doesn't create that staging area you can take advantage of but yeah. like you said you know you're you're right if that ridge is, is close and he's and he's going to bed that tight you know go for it yeah absolutely well yep. we got a lot more to talk about and we're going to have to do that on another podcast so michael man i really appreciate you taking time to hop on today if you guys haven't already done so go check out uh michael's blogs on the sportsman's nation uh blog uh man he's going to be uh throwing some uh content at us on a regular basis so keep an eye out for his new stuff too uh man i really appreciate you coming on today yeah no problem dan thanks a lot man having a lot of fun doing this with you And there you have it. Huge shout out to Michael for coming on the podcast and dropping some knowledge on us today. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to this podcast. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, man, love their bow, Ripcord Arrow Rests, Ozonic Scent Elimination, and last but not least, Hunter Safety Systems, man. I was in a tree and I did wear my damn safety harness today. So I hope all you do the same. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. If you haven't already, leave a review on iTunes. That would be very helpful. Uh, go to social media, man, uh, and, and join the social network. I'm telling you, there's a lot of awesome conversations that happen uh, either on Instagram or Facebook, not only through the Nine Finger Chronicles social media pages, but also the Sportsman's Nation uh, social media pages as well. So uh, I'm really excited for the next couple months, not only because I get to hunt, but because uh, this community that I'm building, uh, that we are building is uh, growing and the more the merrier, I say. So Guys, I want everybody to have a great week. And if you're going to be in a tree, Hunter Safety Systems reminds us all, wear your damn safety harness.